Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement for Parkinson's podcast and audio library. My name is Matt Zeppelin, and I'm coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. Here in Colorado, I work with people who have Parkinson's disease, doing both group movement classes and individual sessions. I've had some interest in mindful movement work for Parkinson's disease from people out of the state, and so it occurred to me to start this podcast and audio library so that I could share this work with more people around the country. Each week, I add new movement lessons and sometimes guided meditations, interviews, and introductions to topics in movement education and mindfulness as a podcast format. If you have found this podcast on iTunes, I invite you to visit my website at www.recovermobility.com. Over time, as I add more lessons and other installments of the podcast, uh, my hope is that this will accrue into an audio library that people with Parkinson's disease can use as a resource. So, for instance, someone might find a series of lessons having to do with breathing or with balance or with the use of the hands and could then make their way through that section of the audio library. In terms of my own background, I am a Guild Certified Feldenkrais Practitioner. The Feldenkrais Method was created by Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais, who was an Israeli scientist and martial artist. Over the last 40 or so years of his life, before he died in 1984, Dr. Feldenkrais created a movement method that is uniquely effective in terms of addressing movement disorders and improving the ease and range of movement for all types of people. There's been recently a lot of interest in the concept of neuroplasticity, and one way to describe the Feldenkrais method is just that it is a method for applied neuroplasticity. It is a way to stimulate the networks of nervous connections in one's brain, mind, and body in order to overcome symptoms or um, restrictions from a disorder or to improve performance in something that someone wants to do better. In addition to my Feldenkrais work, I am a PhD student in history and I am working on a dissertation about the history of somatic education and the Feldenkrais method is one type of somatic education or the education of the lived body, the body in movement. So why do I think that mindful movement is a good idea for people who have Parkinson's disease? Several years ago, when I began working with people who have Parkinson's, I learned from them that big improvements have been made in the treatment of Parkinson's disease. So for instance, there are many neurologists now who are extremely well-educated in the different varieties of the disease and can be crucial in prescribing the right medications, in altering the doses of those medications over time, 
or even in advising people with Parkinson's about the possibility of something like deep brain stimulation surgery. In addition to uh, treatment from a doctor, I've met a lot of people with Parkinson's who are very proactive about their own care, going to support groups and uh, networking with others with Parkinson's to learn about effective treatments. And then on a more daily basis, just taking care of themselves through a regular exercise regimen, through paying attention to the amount and quality of rest that they're getting, and also to paying attention to their diet. In the realm of exercise, I've seen that there are specialized classes that have developed. For instance, the Lee Silverman voice treatment, the big and loud classes, if you've heard of those, as well as dance for Parkinson's classes, yoga for Parkinson's classes. And I've heard from different people that these have been really helpful and effective in addressing their Parkinson's. So coming back to my question, why mindful movement? What does mindful movement add to the Parkinson's treatment picture that these other things I just mentioned don't add? What I would say to that question is that the piece I see missing from Parkinson's treatment is the ability to train one's attention to study one's own movement habits. Okay, so I'll say that again. It's the ability to train and refine one's attention on one's movement habits over time so that we can learn how to improve those habits. So why do I call this practice mindfulness? What is this word mindfulness? What does it have to do with training attention on movement habits? The first point that I would make about that question is that studying one's movement habits is not something we're accustomed to doing in our culture. In fact, I would go so far as to say that there is a level of movement illiteracy in contemporary American culture. And that's not referring just to people with Parkinson's disease. The culture more broadly does not have a vocabulary or a set of practices that help us learn about our own movement habits and movement possibilities. This being the case, the place where we have to start in order to do this practice is simply to become aware of our existing movement habits. We need to study this layer of our experience that nothing in the culture or very little has pointed us toward in the past and begin to see that it's happening all the time. So let me introduce an experiential example to try to make this more concrete. If you just interlace your fingers automatically, go ahead and do that, and now change the interlacing so that the other thumb is on top. And you might go back and forth once or twice to the original interlacing and than the new interlacing. For most people, the second way of interlacing the fingers will feel unfamiliar. And that's because the habitual way, the first way that you did it, is so deeply ingrained as a habit that we don't actually realize that it's a habit. It's just one option among many. 
of course, in terms of interlacing the fingers, maybe it seems like this is inconsequential. How does having two ways to interlace the finger fingers really help with something like Parkinson's disease? But if we start to think that this same level of unconscious habitual movement is happening in terms of how we walk, how we breathe, how we drive a car, how we get up and down from a chair, how we get in and out of bed, it starts to become apparent that actually movement habits are happening all the time throughout our day, throughout our life. And if we can learn to train our attention on them and to improve them over time, this might be actually a very effective way to increase range and ease of movement. Coming back then to the concept of mindfulness, the reason I call this practice mindful movement is it because it has to do with the bringing awareness to one's movement in the present moment. And that's something that we can do at any time. At any moment of the day, you can bring your awareness to how you're breathing, how you're sitting, how you're walking. And by doing these movement, mindful movement lessons, over time, this can become more and more second nature, paying attention to one's body, breath, sensations, and movement is uh, an ongoing and nourishing practice. The word mindfulness in recent decades has come to take some currency in our culture, and it's largely associated with Eastern practices. Uh, I think that's probably a correct association that a lot of the mindfulness practices such as meditation, yoga, tai chi, uh, derive from Eastern cultures. At the same time, I think we can find parallels and precedents in Western culture. So for instance, in Western music education, we have precedents, precedents for mindfulness of movement because it's so important for musicians to know what they're doing with their bodies as they play their instrument. And we've also had developments in mindfulness in the West. I think that maybe if you go back to the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, the first generation of people studying these mindfulness practices were largely dependent on Eastern teachers or Eastern schools of thought in order to learn them. But now, uh, having some time passed, I think these schools are developing on their own in the West in a way that we can make them more broadly applicable to Westerners and Western culture. In terms of the benefits of incorporating mindful movement into your Parkinson's treatment plan, I think one outstanding uh, aspect of mindful movement is that it is completely proactive. Because mindfulness is something that you can practice at any moment of any day, it is, in a sense, the ultimate resource for a sense of proactivity in treating your Parkinson's disease. It doesn't mean that you need to have as a goal of being aware of your movement at every moment of every day, but it's a resource that's available in any moment, and so it's something that you can use as much or as little as seems helpful and suitable for you.
in addition, what I said a moment ago about applied neuroplasticity, that is what I would point to in terms of a mechanism for the benefits of mindfulness. By paying attention in the present moment to one's body, breath, sensations, and movement, and that's mostly what we'll be doing in these mindful movement lessons, approaching that kind of attention from various angles, you are activating your mind and body through the nervous system in new ways. That activation is what we mean by neuroplasticity. It is the lighting of new pathworks, new pathways, or the relighting of old but lost pathways in the brain and body. So although Parkinson's disease uh, causes degeneration in the substantia nigra and the loss of dopamine, by practicing mindful movement, in a sense, we can work around damaged pathways, creating new ways to do movement, or we can revive old pathways that have been forgotten and the lost movement may be recovered even though the disease uh, is still progressing slowly over time. The core of this podcast and audio library is the movement lessons. So I encourage you to sample them, explore them, and please contact me with questions and feedback that you have. If you'd like to see more lessons of a certain kind, or if you have questions about any of the lessons, don't hesitate to get in touch with me. Please do listen to the guide, the Mindful Movement Lesson Guide, that I have recorded as a separate podcast entry. And there I just give practical guidelines for doing these lessons in a safe and effective way. Lastly, it's incredibly helpful to work with someone who has uh, training in human movement. So I had a bad neck injury when I was 18 years old, and it was largely through in-person contact with people who had movement training that I've been able to address the chronic pain and uh, nervous system damage symptoms from that accident. So I encourage you, in addition to using this podcast, to find someone in your area with whom you can take movement lessons or do private sessions. A great resource for that is the website feldenkrais.com. That's F-E-L-D-E-N-K-R-A-I-S dot com. You can search for someone in your area who can help you. Lastly, if you're able to make a donation to this podcast, that will support me to continue to expand it and to spend my time uh, refining this way of helping people with Parkinson's disease. There is a donation button on the Parkinson, Parkinson's podcast tab of my website, www.recovermobility.com. And please also feel free to share this resource with any Parkinson's support groups or other networks of which you are a part. Thank you for finding this podcast and taking the time to listen to this. 
And I hope that mindful movement practice is as beneficial to you as it has been and continues to be for me.